Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that with all confidence we can say here tonight, even so, come. Lord God, that as we gather as a family, we gather with the assurance of faith. Faith not in the things of this world, but in a great Savior. The Lord of heavens and the earth. And it is to you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we entrust our souls. Help us to grow in our walk with you, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17, it says, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. I'm going to begin tonight with a very bold question and one of my favorite analogies. Here's the question Are you going to heaven or to hell? I want us to really think about that question, not give that quick answer that we, we're all apt to give. Are you going to heaven or to hell? How do you know? What proof do you have? Where, wherein lies the evidence of your destiny? We, we want to be careful and thoughtful as to how we answer that first question. Because as the analogy goes, sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. And I would be remiss as the pastor of any church to simply assume that everybody sitting in the room is going to heaven. According to God's word, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are going to heaven, and there are those who are going to hell. There isn't a middle ground. There isn't another choice. It's either heaven or it is hell. And Paul here describes those who are going to hell as, starting in verse 18, many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction hell. Their God is their belly, 
and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. There are those in this fallen world sometimes even gracing the doors of a church with their presence. Look look with me at chapter 1. Paul spoke earlier of those who preach Christ, but not necessarily for the right reason. He says in verse 15 of chapter 1, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. There are those at that time, there are those today who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. There's that word walking again, one of Paul's favorites as to how we live. That word walking, how we move forward through this life. You can see their disdain for the things of Christ in how they are living, how they think, how they behave on a regular, ongoing basis. These people whose end is destruction, they are on their way to hell. That place that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 42 in this way. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a pleasant place. Now, even those who are walking in the right direction can sometimes trip on a crack in the sidewalk, can't they? On occasion. But Paul gives three distinctive attributes Three evidences of those who are destined for hell. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. So let's go through all three of those. Is is your God your belly? And Paul isn't just talking about food here, although that could certainly be included. Do do we seek first in our lives the kingdom of God? Or are we searching constantly for, for the things that bring us comfort and pleasure in this world? Who do we serve? What governs our behavior? What dictates how we live? A key quality of somebody who does not know Christ is that they won't ask and they don't ask, how will this bring glory to God? How will this glorify Christ as my Savior in my life? They won't ask that question. Instead, they just chase after the things that make them feel good. The next vacation, the the next meal they're going to have, the food, the hobby, the pastime. Sometimes it's work that we revel in. 
And we work too much looking for success, looking for that pat on the back from the people in this world, that next promotion that we might get or success that we might get at work. Often, it can come in the form of religious dedication. It can come in the form of great biblical knowledge because it makes us feel good about ourselves to have these things as our faith becomes more about ourselves and and feeling or, or being right than it is about Christ, our Savior. Being right for his sake, not just to be right and feel good about being so. There are so many out there who have a vast knowledge of Scripture, but don't know God. Their, their time at church becomes more about what they are doing, the power they wield, the things they accomplish in what's become their playground. Living in, in the flesh with, with all of its temptations, desires, and needs, really we have needs as people, don't we? We need to eat and, and we get hungry and it gives us the hangries and we respond to that, right? You know what the hangries are, right? You're so hungry you get angry. It's easy to allow our inmost desires to become our God and serve them first. Keeping Jesus Christ off of the throne of our hearts. And sometimes, sometimes if we've been a part of a church for a long time, never realizing that we've never really put Jesus first in the first place. Are we putting Jesus first? in all of our desires, all the things we do, all of our comforts, all of our pleasures, is it for his sake or is our belly, our inmost desires, our God? Do you glory in your shame? As I said earlier, even those who are walking in the right direction can be tripped up once in a while. We are still being sanctified, right? He has made perfect those who are being sanctified. But when we are confronted in our sin, when we find ourselves there and we recognize it, either by a brother or sister in Christ or by the word of God or as they bring the word of God before us, How do we react? What do we do when we're confronted by our sin? Are we willing to humble ourselves before the word and the will of God? Do do we change how we are walking in order to avoid the pitfall? Or do we find ourselves walking down the same old sidewalk because it's exciting and then falling in that same pitfall all over again? Or are we those who confess, we recognize our sin, we confess our sin, and we repent? That word for repent meaning to turn away from it. Complete 180, going in another direction because we recognize what that is and how that separates us from the God who loves us. Or do we glory in our shame? Do we find ourselves justifying our behavior? I am right to do this. 
because so-and-so has done this to me. I am right to walk in this way. I've done nothing wrong. Do we manipulate God's word to justify our sin? Did God really say famous words from the first chapters of Genesis, right? Do we sin before God, as he calls it in the Old Testament, with a high hand? Numbers, chapter 15, verses 27 to 31. God first starts talking about unintentional sins, and then it takes a little turn. He says, if one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake. Trips up in the sidewalk, right? When he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. God has a distinct distaste for those who would blatantly, intentionally sin against him and his word. Having looked at the word of God, Are we willing to set it aside and ignore it so that we can continue to walk in the same manner? This is not unintentional, but willful and high-handed, glorying in what should be our shame. We find this kind of thinking and behavior in the homosexual community. As they alter the word of God with some kind of linguistic gymnastics to to make his word suit their lifestyle so they can feel like it's, it's okay, intentionally and willfully ignoring what God has said plainly and turning it into something else so that they can do what they would like to do. It's not just there. It's all over the place. We are good at justifying ourselves, aren't we? We find ourselves living in a judges kind of world, that book of judges where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Where the philosophies of this world start to get mixed in with the word of God and and how we view his word. And we fail to recognize the radically life-altering call of the word of God that calls us to, to completely philosophically, spiritually separate ourselves from the world while we still live in the world as ambassadors of Christ. We fail to recognize how the word of God beckons us every day we walk in this life to become more like Christ and less like the world. Do we insist on walking in our sin? 
Is our glory our shame as we chase after our inmost desires, really deposing Christ from his rightful place in our lives? Are our minds set on earthly things? You wake up in the morning, the alarm goes off. What are we thinking about? As we walk through our day, we're at work, we're at school, we're at home. What are we considering? What runs through our minds? When we lie down and we're about to go to sleep, what is it that grabs our thought life? What do we think on? What is our mind set upon? Are our minds flooded with the things of God? His word, his ways. If a situation of this world comes to our mind, are we thinking about how it fits into our Christian life and how God's word applies to that? Or are we simply just overwhelmed by thoughts of earthly things? Is this life, these things, all we have and all we live for? all we consider and spend our thought life on? Do, do we make our choices and decisions? How do, we, how do we think? Do we make our choices and decisions from a mind set on this world? And how my choice might affect my life in this world? My gains, my losses? Or do we, do we make our choices and decisions from a mind that's set on God's word? And how my choice might affect the kingdom of God? Is our God our bellies? Do we serve our inmost desires and pleasures first? Do we glory in our shame? Are, are we justifying our sin and transgressions before God and men? Are our minds set on earthly things, making our decisions and choices? Our thought life clouded with worldly philosophy and gain? If so, our end is destruction. Eternal damnation. Separated from the goodness of God forever. It is hell. Plain and simple. How you doing so far? Seriously, if you find yourself in that frame of mind, in that way of life, it needs to be addressed, and it needs to be addressed today. Do not let another day go by apart from Christ. There is hope. While we may fall short of God's perfection and his glory, Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth in the flesh, took on a body just like you and I have, and he gave that body up in our place. Where we should have died for our sins, he died in our place so that we could be forgiven our sins. And then he rose again from the grave as a promise, as the seal of that hope of eternal life as evidence of what he has done for us. Those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And this, by no merit of our own, 
Notice the difference between verses 18 and 19 and 20 and 21. I'll start at 18 again. It says, For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. It's, it's entirely self-focused, isn't it? Start at verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Who are those verses focused on? Christ. Those verses are entirely Christ-focused. We are saved. We are reconciled to God. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are citizens of heaven because he is our savior. Not because of anything I've said or done. We wait for him. Our salvation is entirely dependent upon him. Ephesians chapter 2. You have this one memorized, right? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. That, things that are dead don't do much, right? You, you've all, we've driven here long enough now for the last year and a half to notice that the roadkill never gets up. <laughs> right? You were dead, incapable, not moving. In the trespasses and sins in, what you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are citizens of heaven because he is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our sovereign, right? As our Lord, he is our king. He is our master. In Christ, we no longer serve our bodies and our flesh or our inmost desires. We no longer put those things first because God has taken his rightful place on the throne of our heart and our mind. And now all those other things that are a part of living in this world are filtered through our relationship with Christ as our Lord, as our Master, as our Sovereign, as our King. We respond to Him first. We bring these things before Him first. Having our eyes opened by His Spirit to the love of God for us, we respond in love to Him. 
We love because he first loved us, right? And we serve him out of that abundant outpouring of love upon our lives. He will transform us. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He will transform us. We won't give ourselves a body capable of living forever, will we? We can't. But Christ will. 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our own good works and good deeds. Uh Uh-uh. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And he has the power to do it. He has the power to give us the immortality, the immortal body, the imperishable. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is, speaking of Jesus, the Son of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 15. Colossians 15. Boy, good luck finding Colossians 15. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, though. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christians are entirely, utterly dependent upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are also certain evidences that show themselves in the Christian walk. There are, there are certain evidences of our destiny in as much as there is evidences of the destiny of those who are going to hell. Evidences besides a, a simple acknowledgement of dependence upon Christ. Evidences that work themselves out in our lives. Verse 17 Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. 
and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We keep our eyes fixed on those who imitate Christ. Those who walk like Christ, talk like Christ, they are an example to us, an example that we look at and then we desire to live our lives according to God's word as we follow their example. And we associate ourselves with those who would do the same. People imitate their heroes, don't they? Little children will don a cape, run around the backyard saying, I'm Batman, right? You even find adults who will go to Comic-Con, right? They dress up like Batman still. Others will quote Martin Luther King Jr. Or they will quote Abraham Lincoln, their other heroes. Where are we finding our heroes? Where are we finding those that we would want to imitate or be like? Is it the pages of a comic book? The movies we watch? Is it on CNN or Fox News? Are those the people that we quote? Who do we seek to follow after? Who do we seek to imitate? Is it those who are listed in Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith, those people who by faith lived out their lives, regardless of what might happen to them, being sawn into or whatnot? Are those our hero, heroes, those who dependent upon Christ? Or are they those who avenge themselves with super cool moves and a kung fu grip? Christians keep their eyes on those who have lived their faith. That we would do the same. Verse 18. There's another evidence that I want to point out to you. Paul, when he begins to describe those enemies of the cross of Christ, he says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Paul was brought to tears over those who were not following Christ. Paul's heart, Paul who, like we mentioned this morning, was beaten, jailed, beaten, ridiculed, beaten some more. Paul's heart was soft towards those very people a Christian's heart will be soft towards the non-believer. No matter how belligerent they are, we need to be soft towards them. Because we recognize a greater truth that they can't see. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are destined for heaven and there are those who are walking themselves right towards hell. And as those who are destined for heaven, 
those who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let our hearts be soft and brought to tears that we would reach out not be okay with letting them keep walking. Let's not be okay with that. But share the eternal life that we, as believers, already have. What is the evidence of your destiny? Where is your citizenship? Who governs your life and, and occupies your time? Is it the world? Or is it God and his word? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that clarifies to us who we are before you, who we ought to be before you. Your word that gives us a measure of mercy that as we trip and, and we, we fail, you remind us that we are being sanctified. You pick us up, you wash us off, and you set us back on the path. Lord, help us to be those who desire to walk according to your ways, to imitate those who have walked before us and lived out that Christ-centered life. Lord, I pray that you help us by your Holy Spirit to be discerning, to recognize the sin in our lives, and to, to repent, confess, recognize it, and, and walk away from it, and be entirely yours, not letting Satan have a foothold in some aspect of our life, thinking it's some small thing, but Lord, it can grow, and I, we don't want it to grow. We want to be yours. Help us to be yours, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.